Today we continue on in the book of Ephesians 2, and we'll be looking at Ephesians 2.10. Turn there with me. If you have ever studied the book of Corinthians, you know that the church in Corinth had its issues, perhaps not more than any other church filled with those struggling with sin, but certainly some notable ones that the Apostle Paul had need to address. One of the central issues was that of pride, pride in themselves, pride in certain persons over others, pride in their experience of Christ. And so in one section, Paul addresses them thusly in 1 Corinthians 4, 6 through 7, 1 Corinthians 4, 6 through 7, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? He writes to them to not be puffed up with pride, not to be partial towards one another. Because what do you have that you did not receive? And that's an important question for you, Christian. What do you have that you did not receive? We've seen already in the book of Ephesians that our very salvation is because of the foreordaining work of God accomplished in Christ and applied to us by the working of the Holy Spirit. What of our salvation do we have that we did not receive? None of it. Well, today as we come to our passage, we will find that it's not just our past salvation if we have been saved, that has been ordained, but it is even our present and future walk with Christ that has been prepared by God. Today, I want us to see in our passage that the Christian life is necessarily one of good works. The Christian life is necessarily one of good works. So today, I want us to actually, I'm going to read from verses 1 to 10 of chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, and we'll focus in on verse 10. But starting at Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul has been arguing that the past of the Ephesian believers was one of death and the promise of wrath. But now in Christ, they have been saved. And they have been saved by the operation of the grace of God. They have been saved without reference to their own works, that they may have no boast of themselves before God. So let's first underscore this point so that we don't get confused as we go along today. Nobody is saved by the good that they do and the bad that they don't do. Nobody is saved 
by the good that they do and bad that they don't do. Because such is the nature of sin that it corrupts all that it touches. And the corrupted nature within you, friend, condemns you in the presence of a holy God. You cannot claw your way out of hell. You cannot muster up enough good strength to free yourself from the shackles of sin. There is only one who can save you, Jesus the Christ. And understand this, that if you are in Christ, you are not in Christ because you are good enough. You are not in Christ because you cleaned yourself up enough to be presentable, and now you can enjoy the benefits of salvation. No, if you are saved, it is solely by and through the good kindness of God to save you. It is through his unearned favor. It is by grace. And if you are saved, you will have works. So let's see that first. Created for works. Created for works. And our verse 10 begins, for we. And let's remind ourselves who it is that Paul's writing to when he talks about that we, right? He's talking about to the saints in Ephesus. He's talking about himself. He's talking about uh, his co-workers in the gospel. He is writing to believers. And so he says here that we are his workmanship or we are God's creative work. We are the work of God. We are his creation. And let's pause here for a moment and ask the question, what has been created by God? We could ask it the way question five of the New City Catechism does. What else did God create? God created all things by his powerful word and all his creation was very good. Everything flourished under his loving rule. The Apostle John opens his gospel with this confession about the creation of everything through Christ Jesus in John 1, 1 through 3. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So God did create all things, but Paul here is writing to the Ephesians and he describes there's this limited new creation. There's a limited audience, which is made more clear in this next phrase, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Again, this is not true of everyone everywhere. Not all are created in Christ Jesus Only those whom, as Paul describes back up in chapter 1, verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, right? That that there are those whom God has chosen and those whom he has chosen, he has created in Christ Jesus. God chose those whom he would save before the foundation of the world and he creates them in Christ Jesus. And let us remark something wonderful here, that this is, this is wonderful. Uh, one commentator rightly points out that we contributed nothing to our first creation. And what Paul here describes in, in our second creation is that we also contribute nothing to it. Right? And when we think about the first creation, did we gather ourselves together? Did Adam and Eve coalesce as dust and, and then poof, out they formed? Uh, no. Uh, and as an aside here, that is kind of ex- what the uh, scientism, naturalism describes happened in in life. Uh, that some some amino acids got together, drew themselves together, and and such life was formed. 
But no, we had nothing to do with our first creation. God created us. And beloved, if you are indeed in Christ, then God has created you anew. He created you newly. He gave you new life. And let us praise God for that. But notice that this creation is in Christ Jesus. It's God's workmanship of us in him. And it's for a very distinct point. Good works. Look at that, right? We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's that's the purpose. That's the point, right? We are created in Christ for good works. And so the big question here then is, what are good works? Having recently studied through the book of Titus together, we might have these verses echoing in our minds from Titus 2, 13 and 14. Titus 2, 13 and 14. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Christ Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us and to purify us that we might be his people and that we as his people, as his possession, might be zealous for good works. Right. So what we talk about here in Ephesians 2.10 isn't this this singular expression of this, it's what we see elsewhere in the scripture. Uh, and as we think of good works, as we think of what are good works, we could think of that saint of old who in our tongue has a somewhat unfortunate name out of Acts 9.36. Acts 9.36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. Right? Notice this this person's character, this this believer's character. She was full of good works. She was full of acts of love. She was always about helping others. She always has going out of her way to do someone else good. She was kind and kind-hearted. We might describe her that way. Or how else might we think of good works? We could turn to Luke 10, 30 through 37 and consider that challenging parable of Jesus. Uh, so turn there to Luke 10, 30 and the context of this, right, is we know this parable is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the context of this is that one who is learned in the Jewish law uh, comes to Jesus and he's trying to confront Jesus. But uh, as as it comes down to it, as he describes uh, what the law means, that we love God and that we love our neighbor, he then tries to narrow that command of loving neighbor. He's trying to justify himself. Um, the, the verse right before uh, Luke ten thirty, Luke ten twenty nine tells us that he's trying to justify himself. You know who exactly is my neighbor, and so Jesus responds with this parable, and it reads uh, Luke ten thirty. Jesus replied, "A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead." Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and we saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, 
Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, that is the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Right, this parable of Jesus, he he describes this man who's been badly beaten by robbers and and the picture is right. If no one intercedes, he's going to die. He's he's in a really dour, dire state. And religious men pass by and uh, will they stop? And the answer is no. And we might excuse them because maybe they're worried about their own safety. What if the robbers are still nearby? Or maybe they're concerned about ritual and cleanness, right? If, if they uh, help this man and this man dies and then they become ritually impure then they're not going to be able to participate in certain aspects of their duties. So maybe it's just easier to 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 let this man, uh, uh, he'll be fine, right? But here comes the Samaritan. And, and now something of the context of this is that the Jewish people didn't like the Samaritans. Uh, they were considered half-breeds because they had intermingled in their, in their history, in their genealogy. They were intermingled with Gentiles. So there was of some Jewish descent there, but, but there was... Uh, Gentile influence, pagan influence, and so they they thought they that these were bad dudes. And we could look at John, uh, chapter four, for instance, and see uh, Jesus with a Samaritan woman at the well, and in the interaction between them, and the kind of commentary there that we see from the Apostle John of uh, that the Jews did not have dealings with Samaritans, and and so we might expect that the Samaritans going to do exactly as the priest and the Levite do, or maybe even worse. But what does he do instead? He extravagantly aids this man. He does good. He shows mercy. So all this to say, though, what are good works? Well, in one sense, it should be evident to us. We should be able to tell what a good work is. Uh, Spurgeon qualifies good works this way, right? He gives us this understanding of, helps us to understand what good works can be and what they cannot be. Uh, and he says, nothing is a good work unless it is done with a good motive. And there's no motive which can be said to be good, but the glory of God. We might add to this what the scriptures say at the end of Romans 14, verse 23, Romans fourteen twenty-three, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So what is a good work? some good done for the glory of God, which arises from our faith. And if this is so, then we must readily confess how little good we have done in the world. And brothers and sisters, are you zealous for good works? Right? And this idea of of zealous, of being uh, zealous, of having zeal, is this passion, is this uh, consuming idea, uh, drive, and in this case, for good works, as it says in Titus 2, or here, that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has created you for good works, Christian, so be about them. And may this, too, be a warning for the sake of our souls, that if we don't desire what God has created us for, then maybe we're not in Christ Jesus. Right? The absence of good works in the life of a man may well indicate the absence of God in the life of that man. James tells us as much, right? He says faith without works is dead. And so maybe 
what what is transpiring there in James's letter, uh, his argument there is sharpened by this verse, Ephesians 2.10, that we are created for good works. And if we're not doing what God has created us for, have we really been created in Christ Jesus? And so we are created for works. More than that, we are ordained for works. And so let's consider that in the next phrase, which, which is which God prepared beforehand. So look at this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Or we might say, we might translate this, which God hath before ordained in the King James. Or we might read this as which God made ready in advance. And this word here for prepared beforehand is the same one that Paul uses in Romans 9, 23. Romans 9, 23, in which he, he writes, In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. So right, Paul describes there that there are some who created for mercy has prepared these persons of his mercy for glory, right? He has ordained them for glory. And then we come back to our passage in Ephesians and we see that God has created believers in Christ Jesus for good works that he has already made ready in advance. And this is really marvelous stuff here because what Paul is telling us is that even the good works that we do, the morally good things that proceed from faith, don't have their origination in us. They, the good works that we are created to do don't have their genesis in us, right? They don't have their beginning in us. Where do they come from? They come from the ordaining hand of God. God makes them ready in advance. Uh, to this, we may add what Paul writes in Philippians 2.13, where he says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, right? Philippians 2.13 Right before that, right, Philippians 2.12, Paul writes out that we, we ought to work out our faith with fear and trembling. And then immediately after, he says, it's God who works in you. It's God who works in you, both to will, right, to, to desire, to purpose, and to work. That is to bring about for his good pleasure or what pleases him. We could go to that most precious of chapters uh, Romans 8, and find where it is written that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. Right? If God has ordained the end, then he also ordains the means to that end. Right? He doesn't just make grand statements of goal and not carry out his purpose. The Christian life is necessarily one of good works because this is the end which God has ordained for the Christian. Or more simply, we could say it this way. Salvation necessitates good works. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We are not saved by good works. Let us remind ourselves of this often because God does not save us because of good works he sees us accomplishing in the future. Indeed, John Gill writes of this passage in Ephesians, predestination is not according to good works since good works are the fruits and effects of it. Right? Good works are not the cause of your salvation. They can't be the cause of your salvation because they flow necessarily out of our salvation. Good works are ordained by God. They are prepared for us by God. They are made ready for us to do. And to this we may rightly ask, so does this just produce a kind of laziness in the believer? Right? Do we just sit back and do nothing because God does everything? 
Well, we have failed to understand the purpose of God for us if we think that this means that we should do nothing. God uses means to accomplish his will. Consider, for instance, the preaching of the gospel. Uh, look at Romans 10, 14, and 15. Romans 10, 14, and 15. Listen to Paul's argument here. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So let's apply this good work of preaching to this question of laziness. Right, so what does Paul argue here? He says, can a person be saved? Can he be created in Christ Jesus without believing in Jesus? Easy answer, no, right? Can a person believe in Jesus when they've never heard about him? Again, how can they believe in someone they've never heard about? Right? They, they can't. That's, that's an easy no. Okay. Can a person hear about Jesus without someone proclaiming about him? Now, we might quibble about this and say, well, technically, yes, because they don't have to hear, they can read. And, and so, you know, again, uh, that's a distinction here. Uh, that's that's a, a quibble about this question. But can a person hear or read about Jesus without some, someone proclaiming Jesus? And the answer is no, right? He, even if we say it's in written form, Someone has to prepare that and deliver that to that person by whatever means it is, uh, whether they're leaving it, uh, leaving a copy of the scriptures in a hotel uh, nightstand, whatever it may be. So can a person hear about Jesus without someone proclaiming about him? No. Now, can a person proclaim Jesus who is not sent out to do so? Again, I'd say the answer is no. And we could quibble here. There might be some disagreement here to this question. Uh, because there are those who are seemingly sent out, uh, uh, who go out uh, without being sent out. Uh, but even that, we have to back up and ask, you know, think of the Great Commission. Jesus commissions his people to go and to preach the gospel. So can a person proclaim Jesus who is not sent out to do so? No, because either Jesus sends that man out, the church sends that man out under the authority of the Spirit, right under the authority of Christ, uh, but no, they have to be sent. So what good work might we take from this, right? So can, can, does this all mean laziness? No. It takes, it takes action, right? It takes us being involved in the means that God has chosen to use uh, for the furthering of, his, furthering of his kingdom. So what good work might we take from this for ourselves? Well, consider this your commission, church. Go and preach Christ in this community. Preach them in your homes. Preach them in your workplaces. Preach them at the festivals. Proclaim the glories of God wherever you go. Right? And what this means for us as a, as a church body, right? What this means for us is that we have a God-given responsibility to raise up and send out those who would proclaim Christ, whether that's here or afar. Right? We have a responsibility to raise up preachers and missionaries and faithful followers of Christ and send them out to plant churches to further the spread of name further the spread of the name of Christ and to glorify God here in our community and throughout the world. And so one of the questions we might ask of ourselves is what do we need to be doing to start another gospel-oriented grace-filled church in another community that lies in darkness? How will Redeeming Grace Fellowship plant faithful churches? 
But to go back to Romans 10, just so we're clear, do preachers save people? No, right? It's it's God. God does it. It's all of God's work. But God also uses mean. He calls people to join him in his work. And this is a great and good privilege. So should we be lazy about the Lord's work? Never. So let us be zealous for good works. God has prepared them for us to do. What is it that we are waiting for? Let us give God the glory due his name. Let us be about extolling his glory and doing those things which he has given unto us to do. Because God has created you, believer, for good works. He's ordained you for works. And let's see, lastly, purposed for works. This last phrase of verse 10, look at that there. It says that we should walk in them. Right, let's circle back to this purpose. We're creating Christ Jesus for good works. He's ordained him. And this last phrase of this verse reinforces this idea that God has prepared them that we should walk in them. Or we might say live them out. And the idea of walk here in this verse contrasts with the idea that we see back up at the beginning of this chapter in Ephesians 2, 1, in the first part of verse 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, right? And this is true of every believer, right? We, we all once walked in trespasses and sins, and now, Paul is arguing, we walk in good works. We walked in sins at once, now we walk in good works, the goal of your life, Christian, according to Ephesians 2.10, is that it would be a continual series of good works. God has prepared you for them. He has purposed and ordained that you should so walk in good works. Your words should exude good works. Your deeds should be good deeds. And why? Matthew 5.16. Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What is the purpose of your life? To give God the glory to his name. And that's just not about you as an individual. That's the purpose that you should be leading others to do, right? That's what that Jesus is saying there in Matthew 5. Let your light shine before others so that they can see your good works and do what? Give glory to you? Pat you on the back? No, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You give glory to God in heaven, but also you cause others to give God glory in heaven. For fathers, do you direct your children to understand that their purpose is to glorify God? Wives, do you understand that your purpose is to give God glory in the way that you submit to your husband? Children, do you realize that you're created to glorify God? If you are in Christ Jesus, that is all the more true. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. And we may ask why this is God's purpose. Why does God create us to this end? Because God is good. Goodness is fundamental to the nature of God. We only know what is good if we know God. Or as A.W. Pink writes, He is originally good, good of himself, which nothing else is. For all creatures are good only by participation and communication from God. Or we could sing it with the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 68. Psalm 119, verse 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. 
God is good and does good always, every time. And as he calls us to be holy as he is holy, perfect as he is perfect, surely this too must entail that we be good as he is good, that we do good as he does good. Consider the person of Christ Jesus, right? Scour the Gospels. What do you find of him? How is he described, right? The God-man doing good, even if it upset the religious leaders of his time. Matthew 12, verses 10 through 14. Matthew 12, 10 through 14 And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. And it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. See, the Pharisees missed missed terribly this point, right? That God is good and does good, and he expects his people to be good and do good. Church, we must be careful that we do not miss the purpose of God for us as individuals and as a church. Right, It's sometimes easy for us to get so wrapped up in our doctrinal distinctives that we fail to do good. Right, Sometimes it's, it's certainly far easier for us to argue about theology and politics, but what work, good works take. We can sometimes become so insular, so into ourselves, that we forget to be the hands and feet of Christ. And let's, by the way, not think that doing good works means that we have to abandon our doctrine. Doctrine should inform, shape, and motivate our good works, not hinder them. Uh, Spurgeon is a good example of this. If you look at his ministry and his church and what they uh, attempted to do in the community there in London. And we also can't forget here the command uh, of the scripture in Hebrews that we are to stir one another up to love and good works. Or we are commanded to this. We are created for this. The Christian life is necessarily one of good works. God makes it so. So, beloved, what typifies your life? Uh, what, what, what is, how do you walk? Is it a walk of sin and trespasses or is it a walk of good works? You need to hear the words of the scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you are indeed in Christ, the old has passed away. Right? Sin is a former master, not a current one. A lifestyle of ongoing sin does not comport with the creative purposes of God in you, believer. You are a new creature in Christ. You are created for good works, which God has ordained and purposed that you should do them. And in this, we need to praise God all the more. Go back to our question at the beginning. For what do you have that you did not receive? What of the good that you do did God not purpose and plan for you to do from before the foundations of the world? Even our good works come from the hand of God. And so we say, Bless his name.
And may we boast in him. May our only boast be in him. Some of you, though, may think that God really owes you when you do good. You may think that he will have to accept you because you gave some money, you read your Bible, or you did any number of other things. But understand that any good in you, if indeed there is good in you, is, be- is because of God. The scripture's clear. Whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. Whatever is not motivated out of a heart's delight in God and with an aim to glorify him is sin. The purpose of God's creatures is to bring him glory. And if you aim and you're good for any lesser motivation, you fail to do good. But the purpose of God to have glory from his creatures will be secured. If you are not in Christ, if you are outside of Christ, if you're not part of God's new creation, if you're just part of his old creation, understand that you too will glorify God. But it will not be through the enjoyment of his grace and mercy and love. No, you will glorify God. You will bring glory to him in your just punishment. He will receive glory from you when he casts you forever out of the goodness of his presence into the terror of his wrath. For hell is not the absence of God, but the presence of his wrath unabated by grace and mercy. Friend, your sin condemns you before a holy God. The wrong you think and say and do will bring upon you the terrors of his might, for that is just and right and good. It is good for sinners to be punished for sin is treason against God. But God sent his son to be born of a virgin under the law to redeem those who are under the law. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue his people from their sins. He lived the holy, perfect life that you should have. And his death on the cross was not for his sins, but for the sins of his people, to satisfy the wrath of God. His glorious, vindicating resurrection gives hope of eternal life to all who call upon him, all who look to him, all who trust in him. He now sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for his people, waiting for the day when he will come again. Friend, if you confess your sins, and and by confess we mean tell the truth of them, If you confess your sins before God, if you tell the truth of them to God, and if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe what he said was true and what he did did happen, you can be saved from your sins. So look to Christ Jesus today, trust in him, and then walk in the good works God has prepared. To him be all glory, honor, and praise. Amen.